I'm Brandon, and this is my seminary life. Two years ago, I went back to seminary to finish my master's degree, and I started this show as a way to give me an opportunity to reflect and think critically about what I had to study, along with being able to bring conversations that are usually reserved for seminary students to anybody, because around here, I believe that theology is for everybody. Now that school is done, I'm entering a whole new phase here on the show where I'm picking out topics that we probably should have talked about in seminary, like apologetics, and also making room for some fun series along the way. So I hope you're ready to come with me on this new journey as we keep on studying together. But for reals, let's talk about apologetics this time. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the April Fool's related episode last week. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, and I just spoiled the ending for you, sorry about it, but it is still a lot of fun. I spend the entire episode talking about the shows I've been watching with my son Cooper for the past year now. So um, head over there, check it out. And uh, yeah, you can hear all my thoughts about Sesame Street. Sesame Street is a great show, y'all. I don't know if you knew that or not. Hopefully you do. But welcome back. Glad you came back for our real first episode on Apologetics 101, where we're going to be discussing what is apologetics? What does this word apologetics mean? So let's get started. So to begin things, actually, before we even get to the point part about what apologetics means, I want to make a few things clear as we continue on in this series is that uh, I think I talked about last time, like the full kind of schedule of stuff that we are planning on talking about today. I did get a hold of some, some guests getting some guests lined up. Nothing has been recorded yet, but I can confirm that in the next couple of weeks, Annie will be back to talk more about cults. I asked her if she wanted to come back and she said, yeah, duh. And then Scott, our good friend, Scott, who was on the show last back during leadership One is going to be back to talk about apologetics, but from a youth perspective, what are things that youth need to be aware, aware of the youths need to be aware of when it comes to the topic of apologetics and how to talk to youth about apologetics as well. So, those episodes will be happening again. We're going to be talking about a lot of great things. I do want to make one thing very clear, though, that Apologetics 101, that 101 part of the title is not just like a gimmick thing to remind everybody that this is kind of like an educational show kind of leaning into the whole school seminary gimmick thing. It's not just a gimmick like when I talk about 101. I, that that means introductory, right? It, this could also be called apologetics, one uh, uh, intro to apologetics, right? So when I say that this is an introduction, okay, we're not going to talk about everything. This is going to be we're not going to cover everything that comes up in the in the classroom of apologetics. No, this is going to be introductory, and by introductory, I mean very introductory, and by very introductory, I mean very introductory. There are some things that are normal to cover 
in the world of apologetics that we are just not going to get to during this time on the show, which means, and I'm sure everybody is always tired of hearing this from me, that the best way to to communicate that you want apologetics 201 in the future is to, you guessed it, listen to the show. Downloads, it, it's it's voting with your dollar here, folks. When the more times the show is streamed, I know that, oh, people are interested in this topic. We should talk more about it. We're going to talk about a lot of important things. Again, today, we're going to be defining what apologetics is. We're going to talk about uh, the existence of God and the problem of pain. These are like the two big questions that often come up in apologetics. Is God real? If God is so good, how? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do? Why is there evil in the world if God is so good? We're going to talk about those two questions along with cults. We're also going to have a very introductory conversation about world religions and not just from a how to, here's five things you need to know about a religion so that way you can save them. But like actually sitting with the material of, okay, what do people believe from other religions? And we are going to have a week devoted to talking about some of the the theologians, the apologists that you should know as well. Working on trying to get a guest for that episode as well. We'll see. Hopefully it works out. But that those are the things we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. We're not going to get to, you know, for example, we're not going to talk about creation theories. We're not going to talk about creation, evolution, creation theories. That's a normal thing that would be discussed in an apologetics series. We just do not have the time for it in the next few weeks. There's a lot of stuff that we are not even going to get to. I wish I could do a whole episode on just philosophy and existentialism and Taoism and all that stuff. Taoism might get into the world religions episode, but philosophies, we're not really going to have an episode just talking about philosophy, you know, trying to prioritize things here a little bit. So if you want to hear more, if you want a more rounded apologetics conversation, again, listen to the show, share it around, have your friends listen to it. I hear cousins really like podcasts. So have your cousin listen to the show. And, you know, hopefully, we will have Apologetics 201 in the future. We will find out. But let's get on with it now. <laughs> I've stalled for an episode already. So let's talk about what is apologetics. So apologetics is the art of persuasion and defense of the Christian faith. The art of persuasion and defense of the Christian faith. So let's camp out on the, a few of those words. First off, the word art. For me, someone who is a Christian, who is a martial artist, who loves various forms of artwork, when I see the word art attached to something like apologetics or homiletics or hermeneutics, homiletics, the art of preaching, hermeneutics, the art of studying, the art of sermon prep, when it when these the word art is associated with these things, to me, that's just not like a cutesy word that is attached. To me, this shows that this is more than just a head knowledge, more than just a science, but an a expression of who you are as a person. 
when you are doing apologetics, you are expressing yourself as a person. And therefore, the act of apologetics can be a form of worship. It should be a form of worship, a verbal sometimes physical if you're actually in like a like a true debate format but at least verbal sometimes written form of worship it is an expression of who you are as a person that is what art is it's an expression of who you are as an individual and so for all of you out there who think of yourselves as apologists think of how you conduct yourself in your apologisting it's not apologizing. Maybe it is. As you're doing the, the work of apologetics, think of how you conduct yourself and how that is an expression of who you are and how that is an act of worship. And hopefully you're not already feeling convicted as we're all, only eight minutes into the episode, but that it, it's you are showing a part of yourself of who you are when you do the work of apologetics. The art of persuasion and defense of the Christian faith. I think the words persuasion and defense are great key words to describe what we're doing here. However, I think it's also cause I think it also causes a lot of problems. So persuasion and defense. Persuasion is this element of well, let's actually start with the word defense. So defense shows, you know, like I said, we're going to have these episodes talking about some of the big questions that are brought to Christians of how can God, if God is good, how can there be bad things that happen in the world, right? Can't God just eliminate all the evil and a snapping of fingers? And the defense element of that would be having a response for the things that are brought up. Let me quickly bring up a verse. I meant to bring my Bible with me and I totally forgot, but you are here bringing a defense for critiques, criticisms, questions against the Christian faith. And that doesn't mean, well, I'll hold that thought for a second. So yeah, we are defending the faith We are defending the faith as we are doing the work of apologetics. Did I get this verse right? I don't think I have the right verse. Oh, well, I'll, I owe you a verse. <laughs> I owe you a verse for the next episode. So we're defending the faith, and we're also persuading people of the faith. Now, persuasion is not manipulation, although... It is a very fine line, but you're not just playing defense. There's an offense element to this as well, that you're not just trying to silence all of the, all of the questions, not trying to just answer all the questions, but you're also trying to bring people to your perspective or in the ultimate sense, you're trying to, to lead people to Jesus, right? Like this is, the, the ultimate goal, right, is to lead and then to disciple people to follow Christ. So we defend and we persuade, okay? So obviously, you need to know your stuff when you get into apologetics. The reason why I said that I'm, these are two great words to describe what we're doing, but also 
words that have caused issues is that I think for some people, they t- they've twisted the purpose of these words. You take the word defense for an example. People have used the word, well, really both defense and persuade as a way to justify pure brashness, right? Just to be just hitting people over the head with the Bible. And I know there's been, I've, I've seen it more and more recently of a pushback against gentle and loving correction and trying and showing these examples of Paul in scripture where he is coming out hard against the church, which he does. But just keep in mind, there's a fine line between Paul and the disciple Peter. There's a fine line between being handling the situation well and tactfully and being Peter in as he's following Jesus around, right? Like there's so when we see these, you know, apologists who are out there defending and persuading people, I think we've we've taken this as a an excuse to just like be brash. I think there's a lot of misplaced zealousy in Christianity. Not everyone. There are some people who are truly like truly doing zealous things for the kingdom of God and that is are full of zeal. But I do think that there is an element to this of or there are some Christians out there who their zealousness is misplaced. And that this gives them a the this has somehow given them the permission to just attack people without love, without um, without being gentle, without grace, without mercy, without kindness, and just to justify everything under well, Jesus, you know, flipped over tables, and so I can too. Okay, sure. Anyway, so the word apologetics itself comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give an account, to give an answer. So that is what we're doing. This is the art of giving an answer. Again, persuasion and defense, persuasion and defense. This is the art of giving an answer to why you believe what you believe, what Christianity stands for, its doctrines, its tenets. But it is important to know that apologetics is faith and reason, okay? Here we're going to talk a lot about the importance of Scripture. you got to know your Bible. you got to know the Word of God. You need to be praying. You need to be relying on the Holy Spirit for illumination, like you're supposed to be doing all of the time. But a big element within apologetics is reason, logic, okay? This Christianity is not a mindless religion. This is not some just a live by faith situation. Apologetics and truly all of Christianity, that's why I started this show, is to is to use reason and logic. There is a room, there is a place for intellectualism within Christianity. And it's really causing a lot of problems right now that we have a lot of Christians who are so anti-intellectualism. Our faith 
is dependent upon Jesus and continues to grow with reason and logic. And so these are our main tools. Three of them are the tools that we use all of the time, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, and prayer, but also reason and logic. As we move through the art of giving an answer, of persuasion, and defense of the Christian faith, we must utilize reason and logic to get it done. Now, in the Bible itself, there is apologetics that do take place. In the Old Testament, this looks like, well, the Bible, when it comes to the Old Testament, there is no actual apologetics done to prove the existence of God. It is, it is an, ex, an assumed fact. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created, right? God is there at the beginning and is created. Most of the Old Testament defense for itself is rooted in historicalness, genealogies, the uh, start of Passover or Purim as markers of real events that took place. Uh, Post-exilic kings, particularly like Cyrus or Xerxes with the decrees they make, or even um, moments throughout the nation of Israel, or even all the way back to Abraham, when they are piling up stones, building altars to serve as reminders to future generations of what God has done. Like the Old Testament is very much rooted in historicalness is how they try how this Old Testament self-apologizes, I guess you could say. In the New Testament, when it comes to apologetics, uh, there is actually a continual, a continued relying upon of the Old Testament. Jesus going back to the Old Testament to show how it is fulfilled in him. Uh, the Old Testament continues to be referred to by the apostles, by Paul in the general epistles to show their, it, these words ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. You also can go to Paul, who points to the empty tomb, the power of the gospel, the, li the life of the church, and even at times pagan poetry as ways to self-prove the existence of Jesus and his authority as the Son of God. So that's generally speaking how the Bible itself self apologizes in the Old Testament, trying to prove itself as a historical piece. And then in the New Testament, showing how the Old Testament is being fulfilled in Jesus and how the works of the church speaks for itself as well of the radical change that has taken place. And even looking at pagan poetry as a way to self-apologize as well. In general, in general, then, not only do we need to take away immediately as we move through apologetics that we have to embrace reason and logic as we are making our defense, as we are persuading, but we need to know our Bible, and we particularly need to know the Old Testament. This stands in direct contrast to everybody, I've talked about this before here on the show, who is very much anti-Old Testament, anti-law. That's what they really mean. That's what they really mean when they are talking about being anti, <clears throat> when they're not really willing to be in 
the Old Testament. The art of giving an answer for our faith is actually encourages us not just to be in the Word of God, but to really grapple with the Old Testament, to be very familiar with the Old Testament as a way to prove its reliability of both testaments. So do your do your Old Testament studying. Don't don't avoid the Old Testament. Yes, it's a little confusing at times, but you got this. Okay. Get into the Old Testament. So the question at this point then is, is that it? Is that all of it? When I when I do apologetics, am I just you know, praying, studying my Bibles, spending time in the Old Testament, relying on the Holy Spirit, using reason and logic. Is that it? I'm sure that there would be someone out there who would very confidently say yes. You you may even have someone who would very confidently say yes, that's it, even before you get to the reason and logic part. But that's not quite it. There's a lot when it comes to this, to the working of apologetics. There's a lot. There's various, you can think of them as tools. You can think of them as potential ways that you can continue to rationalize, to argue, to persuade, to defend. There's actually five really like seven broad ways that you could engage in these types of discussions and do them well. So how do we continue to defend and persuade? Well, there's a few a few broadly speaking ways that we can do that. One of them is called the classical the classical apologetic approach. Uh, this approach starts with the natural revelation of God before even uh, going to divine revelation. So what that means is that you, in the classical approach, you start with the fact that natural revelation, creation ex- itself speaks to the creation of, uh, that creation itself speaks to the existence of God. The OG of the classicalists is St. Thomas Aquinas with natural law, natural revelation. That was a big part of his um, his writings and his work. Uh, with these next few groups, these next few approaches to apologetics, I am going to name drop a few people. But like I said, in a future episode, we're going to circle back and talk about some of these names more in depth. So if you don't know who someone is or you've heard the name St. Thomas Aquinas and you're like, I don't know who that is, but I hear people talk about him. Um, we'll, we'll get, we'll come back to it. Don't worry. Come back in a few weeks where we'll cover some of these names. So as you are using reason and logic in scripture and prayer and the Holy spirit, you could potentially argue from this position of natural revelation as a starting point of that points to the existence of God. There are some apologists out there who, as I was doing my studying, who are very much tied to one of these perspectives. I would encourage you. um, I I once listened to a mock debate featuring one of my favorite theologians, R.C. Sproul. And rather than being tied to one particular 
approach to apologetics. He, in this mock debate, he wove his way through the debate, utilizing these different approaches, the classical approach, or here in a moment, we talk about the historical approach. He, he wove his way through the conversation using these different approaches. So I would encourage you, as we talk about these here now, don't feel like you just have to pick one approach. Uh, these are all just very introductory comments that I have on each one of these approaches. By all means, do your own research. Continue to study on your own. Every Thursday, I'm going to highlight a different resource on social media that you could use to get a little bit deeper into this topic yourself. So don't feel like you have to just choose one. I have some concluding thoughts on each one of these here in a moment. But the first approach is the classical approach. Next, you have the evidential approach. And when it comes to the evidential approach, uh, the many claims of Christianity or evidence of Christianity is enough to persuade someone with reason to believe the faith. Logic and reason. Log this one really appeals to logic and reason. Um, that the truth claims that a reasonable person, someone who is a logical, reasonable person, is going to arrive at the conclusion of, oh, yes, Christianity and its claims are true because they are reasonable and they are logical. An example of someone who is an evidentialist is Lee Strobel, who is someone many people may know from his famous Case for Christ book and subsequent other Case for books as well. Someone who did do research, right? He was a reporter, I believe, or is, was a reporter who used, who did research and through and did uh, interviews and through logic and reason arrived at the conclusion that the faith claims of Christianity do speak for themselves and they do hold up. Another approach is the historical approach. Uh, utilizes, go figure, historical data. What a shock, right? Archaeology and historical research uh, are big aspects of the historical approach, um, particularly into the death and resurrection of Jesus. John Warwick Montgomery is an example of someone who has done a lot of research in this area. So utilizing archaeology, everyone wanted to be Indiana Jones at one point in their life, right? Well, here's your opportunity. As you go into topic or the conversation of apologetics with somebody, you can appeal to archaeology, historical data, just like the Old Testament does, right? Historical data to support and build your argument and persuade and defend as you talk about the faith. Up next, we have the... Man, my handwriting's bad. Don't tell my mom she was right. My handwriting is so bad. Presuppositional approach. So in the presuppositional approach, there's actually like two subgenres of this, argues that you must have an agreed upon starting point. Okay, you have to agree upon at least a few basic things before having the conversation. Um, particularly the usual one, the usual like ground level we have to agree on this in order to have this conversation is that 
A triune God revealed himself in the Bible. As long as someone you're talking to, so this is maybe like the best approach when you're dealing with someone who is agnostic, um, is that who is like open to the idea of God, who is willing to accept the possibility of God existing. Okay. So in the presuppositional, you have to at least agree upon something usually this idea that a triune god revealed himself in the bible you have to agree on that before you go any further um because again <laughs> i can really get it i really get it with this one like wanting to at least have that common ground element because what is the point of using reason and logic with somebody who you can't even agree with on the ground level so i kind of i kind of get that idea like i said there are two subgenres revelational where we see um where okay so there's a revelational subgenre where you have to agree that the bible is true and the rational which uh holds that only christianity is logical and consistent uh gordon clark is an example of someone who is a presuppositionalist so you can have this, you have to have at least this common ground of, okay, a triune God revealed himself in the Bible. One approach then is to also have this commonality that the Bible is true. And another approach is that Christianity is the only logical and consistent faith. You have to, in the presuppositional, you have these two branches that you have to agree they tried to have this commonality, this agreeing on one of these two other topics in order to then continue to have the conversation. Of course, the one that appealed to me the most, just personally, is the experiential, because Brandon is a closet existentialist. Closet, probably not even a, the right word. Okay, so in the experiential approach, it draws from personal experience, right? Not a popular form in modern evangelicalism. What a surprise, right? The, the reason why it's not popular within modern evangelicalism, though, is, I, I get the reason why. is because in all of these other approaches that we have talked about, we keep coming back to logic and reason. We have to have some logic and reason behind it so we're offering concrete historical data or we're having this common ground element that we can argue from of okay god there is a god can we at least start there and then use natural law natural revelation to argue our way and defend the faith right in experiential which relies heavily on existentialism there is no reason and logic because it's it's more so based off of personal experience. This this is relying heavily upon the supernatural approach. Okay. And you can't always use reason and logic to explain the supernatural. Some things just can't be explained. You know what the, the real ones know what that was. Anyway, so you have to use because you have to release reason and logic in apologetics, the experiential view is typically kind of pushed aside. 
However, it is worth noting that although there is not a specific named person that they, the book I'm using for my research, uh, associates with this view, the pietists and the mysticists of the Christian faith in days of yore, our church fathers who fell into this mysticism and pietism, sex within Christianity, this was actually their preferred way of apologetics was to talk about personal experiences. I don't know, again, as the closet existentialist in the room, I don't know how well this does work nowadays, to be honest, because we, you know, personal religious experience, you know, spiritual, not religious type of stuff. It is very common. There's a lot of neo-paganism out there now. So I don't know how effective talking about personal experience without any reason and logic back behind it is really going to help possibly to build common ground between someone who is open to the supernatural, the spiritual side of the of the known world. So you might be able to have some argument there. I have uh, back during local church ministry, there was a lot of uh, papers and articles and um, uh, research that we've read about uh, the disillusionment that Gen Z has with um, big evangelicalism, with organized religion, and how one way to um, bring them back is to embrace more of this mythicism side of Christianity, which I can kind of get behind. I haven't spent a lot of time with the Christian mystics, but uh, what I have read and what I have seen does really intrigue me. And I, I do find a little bit of a um, little bit of a homey feeling with them. So we might have a whole series at some point in the future on Christian mysticism. We'll find out. But anyway, getting off of the experiential. So that's, those are like the main five, broadly speaking, approaches. Classicalist, evidentialist, historical, presuppositional, and experiential. At the writing of the book that I'm using for my studying, which was 2008, so not that long ago, there were two other... Uh, growing in popularity approaches to apologetics. The first one was called incarnational or global apologetics, which is a global approach to this. You know, typically we think about apologetics as like two people standing behind podiums and arguing about stuff, right? Or people engaging on social media arguments. But this incarnational approach, uh, which was made popular by David Wheeler is in incarnation. You know, we talk about how Jesus tabernacled among us, right? Uh, so this incarnational approach to apologetics is defending and persuading people to the faith claims of Christianity by living among them, particularly in a global sense. But we kind of have that like missionary mindset. A lot of churches do have that missionary mindset when it comes to being in your community, right? The last one that's gr that was growing in popularity, at least in 2008, is cultural apologetics, which uses um, aesthetics like 
various forms of art to convey universal truths. So the, um, the, the pushback against cultural apologetics, even though that's the other one that I was like, ooh, that sounds like the thing I'm interested in, said the guy who was very much involved on a faith-based geek podcast for eight months. The, uh, the pushback against cultural apologetics is that you're not really trying to stand for the you're not trying to persuade and defend the faith claims of Christianity, more so universal truths. Again, there is a lot of these moments where you're trying to build commonality between you and the person that you're talking with, debating with. And so I get the idea of trying to lean towards universal truths in art to find commonality with somebody. Um, and even like we said earlier in the works in the epistles of Paul, he even does at times quote pagan poetry in order to build his uh, defense of the Christian faith. So you can see examples of like Bono, John Foreman from Switchfoot or jars of clay as examples of people who do a little bit of cultural apologetics. No, none of those were actually written examples in the book I was reading, but those are people who come to mind who do proclaim universal truths. And it, it does make me feel a lot better for the fact that many years ago, I did an entire Bible study lesson based off of the song, what I've done by Lincoln park, where we explored the, uh, the, the universal truths that do come up in that song. I feel a little justified now So guess this is an extra long first episode. Uh, first real episode in apologetics 101 you're welcome that makes up for the the goofy episode last week um there's a lot of information i know so if i could maybe uh, lean into my preacher side and try to bring this all down into one compact little like thing is that over the next few weeks we are going to be discussing the art of giving an answer the art of persuading and defending the faith claims of Christianity. And what we're going to see is that as we continue to pray, continue to study God's word, continue to rely upon the Holy Spirit, we are also going to need to embrace reason and logic in order to give an answer for what we believe, right? We have to use reason and logic in along with these, along with scripture, along with prayer, along with the Holy Spirit, in order to give an answer. And as we have continued to talk, we've seen these other approaches, these more broadly speaking approaches that we can take. You know, each episode, we're not going to be able to necessarily sit down and say, okay, so if someone says this, you can answer with this. You know, that's not what we're going for here. Sometimes in my previous experience, apologetics gets turned into just like evangelism 101. And yes, persuading can lead to salvation. That is for certain. But we I don't, rather than teaching you how to win souls, the point of this series is going to be to open you up to this whole world of reason and logic. This whole world where we are going to embrace a more intellectual side of the faith in order to defend and persuade we can lead people to christ through reason and logic 
with historical data, by pointing to natural revelation, by talking about our own personal experiences or talking about music or art. Like we can build upon these foundational universal truths to defend and persuade. Next week, as our Apologetics 101 series continues, we're going to talk about one of those two big questions that often gets brought up, and that is, does God really exist? We're going to talk about the existence of God next week here on the show. Yesterday was the final episode of Fish Fridays, um, talking about anticipating sorrow. You know, Lent is a very heavy season when you really sit back and reflect upon it. And I talked about how not only is Lent a season of anticipating sorrow, but what that looks like just day in and day out as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, what does it look like to anticipate sorrow? Should we anticipate sorrow? That's what we talked about yesterday as we wrapped up Fish Fridays. But thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please consider rating and reviewing the show wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if this is the very first time you've ever checked out the show and you're looking for a, a new show to follow along, please fo- then add the show on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Apple, whatever, whatever you like to do to keep up with things. Follow us there cool and please share this episode with a friend that you think will get something out of it hey everybody in may i'm going to be at the every tribe denomination and tongue convention uh talking about stuff (laughs) this is a special event that's being put on by the guys over at the whole church podcast to bring everyone together into one shared space to grow who come from a whole bunch of different denominations and you can go down into the description of this episode to find a link to get your tickets to go there if you're in the chapel hill north carolina area and hey you can use promo code msl rocks that is msl rocks all one word all uppercase for twenty dollars off your ticket So, and there is going to be, I will let you know, a virtual option. The guys are working on a virtual ticket option as well, so you can observe from afar. And when that becomes available, there will be a code, and I will share that with you all as well. Thank you all again for listening. I appreciate you all so much. Who's ready for more reason and logic? Come back next week for more of that. But until next time, this is Brandon reminding you that theology is for everyone. So keep on studying.